0: I haven't really been watching too many Orlando Magic games because, you know, I'm kind of like the people in Orlando as well, right? <laughs> um, but when, when I watch, when I think of the name Evan Fournier, that doesn't scream basketball player to me. It scream, screams like, I don't know, an expensive bottle of water. Like, I'm going to go have a refreshing Evan Fournier and I'll be right back, right? That's on a hot day, Evan Fournier comes through.
1: This is our f- city. And nobody's going to dictate our freedom. For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Easy Ladies and gentlemen, we're coming in hot for episode two of the world-renowned, well, maybe not quite yet, but we're getting there, the Sons of Bellhorn podcast. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us for, like I said, episode dose. Uh, I am merely Matt I but the straws that stir this drink, my friends, my fellow SOBs, uh, Steve Sheely. And Darwin Zuck, uh, we got a lot to talk about. Talking Celtics, talking Pats. If there's time, we'll talk some Red Sox, talk some Bruins. But first and foremost on the menu tonight, like I said, the C's and the P's. I know they're not called the P's, but I just, I went there. Let's let's strike that from the record. Uh, I do want to make two quick notes before we get going. Thank you. I think it's a, it, it is an overdue thank you to the Uh, The fans, the listeners that tuned into episode one and gave us some, uh, some good feedback. And I think the majority of the feedback was, man, I, I hate Boston teams. I hate Boston sports, but I like you guys, you guys were good. So that, that tickled my heart. Uh, So thank you for that. And one thing we did want to make note of that we really didn't dive into for episode one was that the, the sons of Bellhorn name. Now, for anybody that's in tune with Boston sports, probably knows if you're of a certain age, as the three of us are of a certain age and age graphic, there was once, and it may it may still exist, uh, I don't actually know, maybe one of you two guys do, but the Sons of Sam Horn, Red Sox blog, uh, caught fire once upon a time. Uh, Sam Horn, an all or nothing slugger for the, for the Red Sox, again, once upon a time, and in In naming our group text chat, uh, we just kind of took that and tweaked it. And uh, it's an homage to, uh, you know, one of the unheralded stars of the 2004 Red Sox. That would be second baseman Mark Bellhorn. Uh, Mark Bellhorn, who hits uh, one of the more underappreciated postseason homers in Red Sox history, in my mind. uh, Game six in the Bronx, the one that was overturned, uh, the one that got the momentum going for the Red Sox to complete the miracle comeback uh, so, as a tribute to Mark Bellhorn, that is where the the genesis of the name emerged. Uh, the Sons of Bellhorn podcast. Just want to get that out of the way. Let's get down to business. Uh, Steve Darwin, starting with Steve. How you feeling tonight, buddy?
0: Feeling good. You know, uh, it's it's funny hearing you talk about the the Sons of Bellhorn name because I've been called an SOB for many many moons right now. So I feel it feels very fitting to to step into my pants right here, if you will. Yeah. and and really own it. So, this I'm an is, SOB. That's you. me. That's me. That's right,
2: baby. Uh Darwin, how's it going, buddy? It's great. I mean, Mark Bellhorn, that was when I really was into the Red Sox back in the in the mid 2000s. He was he's the true definition of like a folk hero because he wasn't, you know, some all-star slugger by any means, but yet he seemed to come up with some big moments that are always remembered. Not that one that you described that home run against the Yankees in game six. That was known as the bloody sock game for her Schilling. But people forget the offense in that game was really that three-run homer by Bellhorn. And it, yeah. without that, none of the, the whole breaking of the curse doesn't even happen. So he's kind of like a Bernie Carbo, kind of like folk hero in, in Red Sox history that not, people forget not, about.
0: And not to mention, not that he was alone on that team, but some fantastic hair. As a, <laughs> yeah, as a yeah. follically challenged individual, that's uh, that's a, uh, you know, I love that guy for that reason. Yeah. He had Kurt, the flow going. Him and Kurt uh, Laskanic. Yes.
1: Yes. Oh man. The 25th guy on that 25 man roster, but he was every bit as important as the Pedro's and the Mannies and the Poppies and, but yeah, Darwin, you nailed it. You know, it, it was a uh, great Bernie Carbo reference, by the way, from 75 and without, without that home run, without that moment, without the overturn, Maybe we're sitting here talking about, oh, it's 103 years that the Red Sox haven't won the World Series. You know, well, they do it before we die. But thankfully, uh, that ship has sailed. All right, boys, uh, we're sitting here on a Monday night. And uh, I hope this doesn't become a recurring thing because for episode one, the Celtics uh, got their lunch handed to them by the Brooklyn Nets. And uh, on this occasion, the same thing is kind of happening. Against uh, Zion and the New Orleans Pelicans, Uh, the game is in the the final stretch, final four or five minutes. The Celtics down by a sizable margin, uh, unless they pull off a big comeback here, not liking their chances. So that kind of leads us to the trade deadline and what the Celtics look like now, as opposed to what they looked like uh, prior to the deadline. And and look, you know, you can go through all, all the names and all the transactions and all the maneuvering. But the bottom line question is always, is this team better right now than they were before the flurry of activity? Uh, You look at the names that they added, the names that they subtracted. My opinion, I'm going to take the the chicken, you know, what way out of this and say, I don't know. I really don't know. Steve, you look at these names. What's your opinion? Is the Celtic team on paper? Is this roster a stronger one than it was before?
0: Uh, I'm gonna, you know, it, the answer is probably yes, but not for the reason that, that, that you would normally think. I, you, normally, you'd think that yeah, they're they're stronger because they added so and so, and I and I don't I don't think that's necessarily the reason. Evan Fournier, Mo Wagner, Luke Cornet, Luke Cornet, sorry, uh, isn't necessarily going to bring a, a championship home to to Boston anytime soon. But maybe, just maybe, and I don't know this, I don't know this either. Uh, but maybe this is going to free up a little bit more rotational. Uh, time for the for the bigs. Like so, if you've got Robert Williams, going to get a little bit more minutes down the stretch. Uh, that maybe Daniel Tice was taking away. Maybe that's going to happen. Um, I don't know. I, I honestly, I want more minutes for for Robert Williams. He's my favorite guy on the Cel- on the Celtics team right now. He's more. He's the most fun guy to watch. Most athletically gifted guy. He's the kind of guy that out there. You don't know what he's going to do on a daily basis. He could jump over the backboard, and, and I wouldn't be too surprised, right? So. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if the players they brought in are going to really help them, but maybe it's just going to help them uh, set a rotation a little bit better than than they had been.
2: Yeah, I mean, Williams is great to watch, and and his development has been certainly uh, remarkable, really, over the last couple months because his passing, I didn't even know he had it in him. He had career-high eight assists the other day, and his block shots, we know what he can do. He is like a Clint Capella-type player and that he has a lot. He, he, he knows the game and plays the game, really well like he knows what he's doing out there and with Tice in the lineup Brad Stevens felt the need to you know play Tice and Williams pretty much equal minutes now Williams gets more minutes so that's a positive the team is to answer your question Matt the team certainly is better having another wing score because now you don't have to play a guy like Grant Williams or or Shemmy Shemmy or Shemmy who's been hurt. You don't have to play those guys in big moments. Supposedly, Fournier could step in and be the guy then that can take some of the pressure, especially offensively off Brown and Tatum. But as I say that, Fournier right now is literally having one of the worst debuts I've ever seen with a new team. I mean, absolutely 28 minutes. That's a lot of minutes. Oh, yeah. for nine, zero points and a minus 22 plus minus. I mean, that's yeah. like astoundingly awful. And this guy is supposed to be like another third score that, say, like Kemba or Marcus Smart is having a bad game. You can put in Fournier and have him play more minutes. But he's been abysmal, absolutely abysmal tonight. And if he's going to play like this, he's useless. So I don't know enough about him. He's buried, you know, in Orlando, right, Steve? Like, we don't, how many Magic games have we seen? I don't know enough about him, except he's supposedly having a career year, but so far we haven't seen it here in Boston. But of course it's early.
0: I was just going to say the same thing is I haven't really been watching too many Orlando Magic games because, you know, I'm kind of like the people in Orlando as well, right? Um, But... When, when I watch, when I think of the name Evan Fournier, that doesn't scream basketball player to me. It scream, screams like, I don't know, an expensive bottle of water. Like, I'm going to go have a refreshing Evan Fournier and I'll be right back, right? That's on a hot day, Evan Fournier comes through. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a hot day. And he is not hot from the field. As Darwin said, he's 0 for 9, 0 ever in his Celtics career. Uh, uh. I liked him
2: Steve just uh, off the bat Fournier's first tweet not to get off the whole beaten path here but he Fournier tweeted out Boston fans don't google my last name so for those listening I'm not going to go into it but you can go ahead and go google that it's pretty funny that that was his first tweet to Boston fans so he got off to a good start in terms of his personality but in terms of on the court
1: what a disaster so far jeez I mean when you said those numbers I thought you were making it up. I'm. I'm like. I gotta look this up. I gotta verify this. And then there it was. 0 for 9, minus 22. I mean, I get that there's gonna be some nerves. Uh, you know, playing your first game for a new team and in, in front of in front of a, a smattering of fans at least. But uh, you know, there there's nerves. Then there's whatever this is. <laughs> it just it's, it's. I look bright side here. You know, glass half full. He's only gonna get better, right? I mean, is is there any way down? From minus twenty two. I don't technically yes, but I, I sure hope not. So
0: I thought you were gonna say bright bright side as we got rid of Javante
2: Green. Ooh, I, I Who could've... was apparently Jason Tatum's best friend on the team, which I didn't realize. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Tatum was really like broken up. Not about dice, not about the
0: um Well, I gotta be honest, I can't imagine Orlando's gonna hold on to him. They're gonna cut him soon. He's terrible. Just bring him back as a ball boy. Right, right. Speaking of guys
1: getting cut, I saw who who signed Teague. Was it the Bucks that signed him? Did they? Have I've not see seen. I've not seen him signed yet. I didn't know if that I, happened. I think I saw on the on the ESPN scroll that the Bucks picked up Jeff Teague. You know, again, not to get too off topic here, but Milwaukee, when your second best player is Chris Middleton, you know that doesn't scare me. That that's not a team that will put the fear of God into you in in the playoffs. <laughs>
2: Which makes it more disappointing, Matt, that the Celtics last year couldn't take advantage of you know milwaukee being gone or a weak eastern conference right. Right. and this year it seems they also will not be able to take advantage of that so going back to your original point big picture the problem with the celtics they win two in a row after the trade they seem like there's a little energy with the team they come back and okc they win there after that bucks win friday night right. there seems to be a mojo going but like what's been throughout this year as soon as they get something positive going it immediately then goes in the other direction in a game yeah. like tonight when you know they can't hit the broad side of a bar and if the threes aren't going down they have no other way to really uh win a game they can't rely on their defense they can't rely on anything so if the threes aren't going down they're doomed and that's a recipe for disaster in the playoffs when the games become the defense's tightened up more and you don't have as many open looks you have to find other ways to win it seems like the Celtics if they can't win that way shooting threes was well, they, they just put their hands up and say well screw it we're not gonna be able to get it done and that's what's so disappointing with this team
1: yeah I I think that you know the the way that the NBA is going it, it's it's mostly predicated on the three-point shot anyway but I get what you're saying is that you know the better teams do have options bc and d and the Celtics right now they just don't have that, and that kind of brings me to like a, a larger, uh, you know, points I wanted to to make and get your guys' opinions on. You know, leading up to the deadline, I think the rumors were, you know, uh, a package of of Gordon and Fournier, or maybe there was some talk about Vucevic who went to the Bulls for some reason. It just seems like this is a recurring pattern with the Celtics and with Danny in particular. They're always in the mix. They're always. You know, let's let's make this the t- the time that we finally pull the trigger on a blockbuster deal. If that would have been a blockbuster, that's a matter of opinion, but it certainly would have been more prominent than just getting a guy like Evan Fournier. No disrespect to him. That to me is the more frustrating element of this. Is that you know the the Celtics, you know, always like I said in the mix, but Danny, for whatever reason, just does never does not ever want to like pull the trigger on something truly big and monumental agree disagree, disagree what, do you, what think? do you think
2: yeah i mean it seems like over the years that's been the case danny has this reputation of being trader danny but it doesn't actually come through and we've seen that now multiple times over the last several years this idea of trader danny hasn't actually paid dividends. He made the great trade getting Jason Tatum (laughs) instead of Markel Fultz and how he traded down. And that was was brilliant how he handled that and pretended like, oh, yeah, you know, we want Fultz. He's a great player. And he wanted Tatum all along. So that was brilliantly done, how he traded down and got Tatum. But in terms of in-season trades, he hasn't really done anything that's helped the roster over the last several years. The last big trade I remember in season when they were going for a title and they had a chance – It was a bad one. They got rid of Perk and brought in Jeff Green and Danny Ainge was in tears the other day. I don't know if you guys saw that article reliving that horrible trade because he knows he effed up. So it's like when he does make an in-season trade that's supposedly to help the team, it doesn't go well and now it's almost like he has a reluctant trigger finger finger to make that big trade in-season. Now, you know, I'm a Marcus Smart guy so I'm glad that Smart didn't go out in a deal but it seems like There could have been a package with first round picks or maybe packaging together a guy like Neesmith or whatever that the magic would be like, hell yeah, we'll take a shot on Neesmith and a first rounder for Gordon. I don't know if it ever even got to that point because I don't know if Danny was putting first round picks on the table. You got to be willing to put your first round picks on the table. I think they're overvalued in general, especially when it gets below 10. I mean, yeah. you're kind of it's a kind of a crapshoot anyway when it comes to a first-round pick, yet Ainge loves to hoard those picks. He loves hoarding first-round picks. And what do they amount to? Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, uh, Neesmith. You know, yeah. Pritchard, he's a good player, but what does it really amount to in the long run? So if you're not willing to part with some of those first-round picks, I don't really get what we're doing here, you know?
0: Yeah, I you know, I, I, I fully hear you, Darwin, and, and, and I agree for the most part. Uh the, the one thing I'll say is that uh he has had a an opportunity to make some big trades and, and he certainly has done that as you referenced with the uh Markel Fultz for Jason Tatum deal. Um obviously that wasn't straight up, that was picks. Uh he's obviously done the the Paul Pierce and Garnett to to Brooklyn, right? And that's that's kind of put them exactly where they are right now. Uh Jeez, right, and you mind. think
2: there should have been more to come from. You know, remember the chest of picks? Like, it was this drawer of picks after the yeah. Garnett Pierce thing. It's like, what came of that? What did we really end up with? I mean, Tatum and Brown are great, and, but what came
0: of that? That's exactly it. He, he seems to be able to make the blockbuster deal, but he can't make the incremental deal to get them over the hump or get them exactly what they need. And now that's a double-edged sword. That could either be a good thing or a bad thing because, you know, we all heard the rumors back a few years ago when Justice Winslow was coming out of the draft and Danny was willing to put 17,000 draft picks on the board for Justice Winslow and it was all hot and bothered to get him and, and it just didn't work out because I forget well uh, M- M- Miami just jumped in front well, of Well, Pat
2: Riley it. hates Danny
1: Ain <laughs> yeah yeah and that worked in our favor that time yes
0: of course and and a couple of deals I think Robert Swift was another draft pick that he was really really into to try to get and it didn't work out luckily for the Boston Celtics because he was terrible and and he obviously has had so uh, a lot of demons in life. Um, so there are some trades that he didn't make that are a good thing. So I don't know. I He makes the great deals, the blockbuster ones, but he's had some spotty stretches here and there too. You were saying in season, but draft day comes around and he has a lot of those picks and he does not make any trades. So I don't know. I don't know what to think. I don't want him to make a terrible deal either.
2: Well, when you get below like 15, right? If he hit like one out of four, like if he hits Robert Williams, right? If that's really a hit and Williams turns out to be like, you know, a borderline all star player for years to come and an anchor in the center, then you can say, and then and Pritchard turns out to be a viable sixth or seventh guy, then you can say, okay, but. It's like right now, it just doesn't feel good because you had all those picks and you just don't feel like you came away with a lot. And now you're stuck with these rotation of marginal players. And, and you know, we can get into who, how much to blame Brad Stevens. And I, I know Stevens doesn't have a lot to work with, but it's like, like if we break it down right now, Matt, right? Like, you know, you have Tatum, Brown, Kemba, right? As, as your core with Smart, Williams and Fournier. So those six guys, and then you have Peyton Pritchard, that's seven guys that you think legitimately can play. Now, if you can find one more, you don't need 12 guys. You need in the playoffs, you need seven or eight guys you can rely on. Now, to me, you would think that's seven guys that can win you at least a round or two in the postseason, those seven guys. Now, that's on the coach to make that work, right? I mean, that's those seven guys I just said Steve we've talked about this that's a legit seven or eight guys
0: it's a legit seven or eight guys but you're not factoring to the fact that Kemba Walker has a gimpy leg that can every other game he's a little bit you know you don't know what you're going to get and he has to rest Marcus Smart today has five fouls Robert Williams has four fouls Grant Williams for some reason is playing a lot and he also has four fouls I agree with you I don't want Grant Williams playing as much as he does uh there's just a lot more that goes into it than than I think what you're saying Eh, I don't know you it in a perfect world, yes, you want seven or eight players to play, but when you factor in injuries, when you factor in uh, rest, when you factor in foul trouble, then, yeah, you have to expand it a little bit more. Uh, to your point, Brad Stevens does elongate the bench, and he plays too many players. I hope, and he's he has done this in the past, that, again, this year, if, if they make the playoffs, and that's a big if at this point... Um, that he would, he would kind of narrow that down a little bit and trust trust some of his his cornerstones a little bit more.
1: Isn't it crazy that we're sitting here, and Steve, you just said it, you know, it, it's a big if that the Celtics make the playoffs. We're talking about a team coming off a third Eastern Conference Finals appearance in three years, you know, uh, bowed out in six games to the heat in the bubble, and expectations were high. And it's, you know, we, we got into this a little bit in, in uh, episode one, you know, the, the blame pie, you know, how much is Brad, how much is personnel, how much is Danny? And we're, you know, we're doing the same thing again here, you know, a little bit of a a deeper dive into it. I want to play devil's advocate here for just a little bit. Is there a chance and no GM would ever, ever admit this or even, you know, approach this path with the fan base and with the media, but is there a chance wacky as it might sound that Danny said to himself, look, we ain't beating Brooklyn. We're not beating Philly. We're probably not going to beat Milwaukee. This is not the time to strike big and to try to do something monumental because it's just, you know, there is there is the upper crust of the East and we're not in it and we've got to not start fresh in the offseason but just kind of have something of a reset and go into the next season, you know, with the, with the slate cleared. And I, I hate – well, it is. It is, but, but is it, it's a loser's mentality, but is it also something of a realistic one that you have to at least consider when looking at the landscape of the East? That's all I'm saying. It's true, but it, yeah, but
2: things happen. In other words, like in the playoffs last year, you know, the Bucks get upset. And, and this year, Joel Embiid is suddenly a little hurt going into the playoffs. Kyrie Irving, who knows? What's good? The Nets can't rely on him. James Harden is playoff James. He's been awful in the playoffs for years. So you never know what my point is. You never know what opportunities come up and to kind of just throw your hands up and quit on the season. To me, I just I don't think that's the right mentality to have, especially the supposed tradition of the Boston Celtics and what that stands for to say, like, ah, we're not going to compete the hell with it. I, th- I just think things can happen in the playoffs. And if this team can somehow, I'm not even giving up that they can still find their way. I mean, there's been positives in the last couple games. Tonight, they were missing Jalen Brown, which is something right. we overlooked. Yeah. But, you know, you don't go get Evan Fournier and use that mid-level exception. Or not the mid-level, but the trade exception from the Gordon yeah. Hayward. You don't use that It now, or the majority of it. If you don't think that Fournier could help you this season and a guy that you might want to then re-sign going into next year. So I don't know, Ainge maybe is trying to play it both ways, like you said, and look to the future, but also have it this year as an opportunity. I just think you don't want to squander a chance that might be there in the playoffs. And if you get in and you're one of those top four seeds, I don't, I don't think the Sixers are unbeatable. I don't. If Robert Williams keeps progressing, maybe he can. Maybe he can at least play with Embiid, and that can be a very competitive series.
0: Oh, man, I'm going to hard disagree with you there. I think the Philadelphia Sixers, Brooklyn Nets, and Milwaukee Butts are the class of the East, and there's no there's – no, it's not even close, right? They're ahead they're and shoulders. The Bucks? Yes. So yeah. let's just beat them. Oh, cool. A regular season win?
2: Well, in the playoffs, the Bucs lost in six. I don't know how the Bucks are the class of anything. If you want to say if you want to give the opinion of the Sixers and Nets, but that's not based. I mean, well, I don't okay, know the fine. Bucks haven't made the finals with Giannis. The, what the are
0: they- Six, the Sixers and Nets are better than the Bucks, yes. But my point is that there's a delineation after the top three, okay? Uh, between the Knicks, the Hornets, the Hawks, the Celtics, the Heat, the Pacers, the Bulls. That's that's all in the, in the next group. Maybe not the Bulls. Actually, I shouldn't have included them. Uh, but that's all in the next group, right? They none of those teams can really compete with the Milwaukee Bucks. Yes, I know the Celtics just beat the Bucks in in a a regular season game. I don't think they're beating them in a. But Steve, let me ask
2: you this: roster wise, this goes back to Brad Stevens. Then you're telling me those seven guys I listed on the Celtics, including Brown and Tatum, obviously at the top. You're telling, and you just were criticizing Chris Middleton a few minutes ago. You're telling me that that Celtics roster of their top seven is drastically worse than the Bucks.
0: The way they're playing. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, well, I don't What
2: do you mean the way they're playing? I'm talking about just those rosters. I'm saying is Brad Stevens not getting enough out of those seven guys should be able to be better than the Bucks Seven
0: guys. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's an easy thing to say on paper, on paper, the Celtics should be able to compete with the, with those guys. Uh, but that's not how basketball is played, man. It's, it's, it's all about fit. It's all about the way that they play together. And right. May- how the maybe, coach maybe, gels them. Maybe there is some truth to that. Uh, I think you think that a little bit more than I do. I, I think that's a safe bet, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. But the the Celtics... I mean,
2: honestly, you got to have two great players. They got that, right? Their two great players are better than Chris Middleton. So you want to give Giannis the top spot, whatever. Although Giannis has proven at end of games, he's not really a reliable scorer. So well, they, rely on their, their, right. they rely on their perimeter guys to really... Come through with buckets for them, Divin Chenjo and Connington. Those guys get crunch time minutes. There's no way they're better than Marcus Smart and Kemba Walker and Robert Williams as their next three guys. I don't know. To me, the Celtics should be competing. That's what makes it so frustrating. I do think, they think you're overlooking competing
0: with those teams. I do think you're overlooking Giroux Holiday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. Brooke Lopez is a pretty good player. I mean, he's, he's not as good as he used to be, right? I I think they're, they're, their their roster is a little bit better than what you are thinking. Maybe, maybe the Celtics top three are better than the overall are better than the Bucks top three, but the the Bucks top eight are better than the Celtics top eight. I honestly, I don't think it's close. Honestly,
2: I so uh, well, Matt, can we can you indulge me one more time? Let's just go through the Celtics top seven: Jason okay. Tatum, right. Jalen Brown, Robert Williams, Kemba Walker. Marcus Smart and now Evan Fournier that's six and, and throw Peyton Pritchard in there as the seven those seven guys aren't better than Pat Connington is their fifth best player or sixth best player I mean that's not better than Brooke Lopez Drew Holiday Giannis Chris Middleton and who, who else you want to throw in there uh, off their bench uh, you know PJ Tucker yeah PJ Tucker sure I mean, to me, I would take that, if I'm just looking at it on paper and I'm going to coach one of those two teams and I have to pick one and we're just picking a team, I want to coach the first seven I just mentioned, not the second seven.
0: I, st- I still think it's all about fit, too. And, and right now, the Bucks fit better together than the Celtics do. That I'll give
1: you, absolutely. Yeah, and I think, Darwin, you would, you know, based on uh, text threads and previous conversations, you know, when it comes to fit, a lot of that, is on Brad Stevens, and it's – I know that he's not He's not the golden boy of the coaching fraternity that he was once viewed as, at least not by the Celtic fan base. Uh, I, I still have faith in him, and I think by and large the majority of Celtics fans do, but having said that, and, you know, again, the social media landscape can be a very toxic and dangerous place, but you do see <laughs> – you you do see uh, a little more angst and and frustration and criticism of, of Brad Stevens now than than you have in years past. I I just don't know how much blame goes to him. It's not like he he woke up at the beginning of this season and suddenly became a, a bad coach or or forgot how to motivate and. My whole thing is, you know, not to get too simplistic, but, you know, coaches coach and players play and, you know, you can coach the hell out of somebody or, or a bunch of somebodies, but if they don't go out there and perform for, for whatever reason, you can only put so much of that on the coach. And so I think this is where the, the debate comes in. It's, you know, how much of this really does fall on Brad Stevens. I mean, you know, Tatum's been, you know, Tatum's been Tatum and, and Jalen Brown's been been Jalen Brown, but But beyond that, I think, uh, you know, Kemba has not been Kemba because, you know, largely because of health. Yeah, Matt, I know we got to move on and talk about
2: other stuff, too, and get to the Pats and Sox. But just just to touch on that as well. I mean, you say Tatum's Tatum, Brown's Brown. And yes, they were all stars. But, you know, what does that what does that mean? I mean, it's voted on by fans, coaches, and that's great. But to me, Brown has improved. He's had a good year. Right. Jason Tatum is incredibly skillful, but there's no way you could say that he's having a great season in terms of improving, getting other people better, making his team better. It's just, and that's frustrating because yeah, to me, it starts, it starts with your best player. The coach is in there in the gel process in terms of piece of the pie to blame, but your best player has to get people more involved and make them better. And, and Kobe Bryant, who Jason Tatum, that's his idol. That's who we looked up to. It took, time for Kobe to do that so maybe I have to be more patient with Tatum but Kobe eventually did get to the point where he would make people better around him Pau Gasol and that's how he won those titles without Shaq later on in his career so as as Steve as you've mentioned in the past Tatum is young and I get that but if they are going to be more successful sooner it can't just be well Tatum's great he's averaging 25 can't it's not on him no it's on him (laughs) Because in crunch time and in big moments, he has not been the best player that they need him to be on the team. And to me, that's where it really starts.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, it's 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 hard to argue more from a 23 year old who's averaging 25 points a game, seven rebounds, and almost five assists a game. He's 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 doing a lot of work in there. Uh, and if you if you really want to make the comparison, and, and this is certainly not the first time anyone has ever done this, but if you want to make the comparison between Jason Tatum and Paul Pierce at this stage of their careers, Tatum is is head and shoulders above where Pierce was. Uh, now I would say Tatum has
2: more talent than Pierce
0: had at the time. Uh, Pierce was pretty pretty dang good. dang good. No no no, I mean players around him. Oh, I got you. Yeah, yes, yeah. At, yes. at the same age. Oh, oh man. Antoine Walker just kind oh, of Oh, I, of I love Twan.
2: I love Twan, but you know. Come on. Well, Walt- Walter
0: McCarty just rolled over in his, well. That's
2: a- <laughs> <laughs> this Celtics team has more
0: talent than that Pierce team had, yeah. the original Pierce team. Yeah. Absolutely, but the NBA overall has more talent um, around it as well. Uh, I mean, that was, that was, I mean, the Nets were going to the finals and getting butchered by the Lakers, the, you know, those years. They, the NBA is a much, much different uh, arena. Uh, you know, I, I can't, I'm having trouble faulting Jason Tatum when again, I bring it down to roster construction. If you look at the, if you look at the court, the only other player who can, who can shoot from three in a, a down to crunch time is Jalen Brown. Most of the time, Mark, Smart percentage
2: wise, Peyton Pritchard would argue with that. He's shooting over 42% from there. He's shooting the ball. Well,
0: he is, he is shooting well, but he most will. of Needs those minutes. Most, minutes. most of those most of those threes are uncontested earlier in the game, non you know non-impact plays. Peyton Pritchard isn't exactly hitting those down the stretch and and he's not playing down the stretch, and there's a reason for that. Ah,
2: I see. So he's not playing down the stretch. That's what I'm saying though. we we get we get we pigeonhole people. And to me, Peyton Pritchard, when I've watched him play, he deserves to play over Kemba Walker right now in, in big moments. Absolutely, 100%. I've watched Kemba Walker turn the ball over in crunch time. Matt, you've seen this. Come on. Kemba Walker has been pretty poor this year in crunch time. Pritchard, I mean, he has the game-winning back in Miami. He, the other night, he carried them against OKC when no one else was doing anything for three quarters of that game. Now, I know he's a little white guy from Oregon. And so, like, maybe we... We, we say, oh, well, you know, he's not, he's not going to be the guy that can really step up because he doesn't fit that mold of what, you know, a crunch time guy should look like on the court. But in terms of what he's actually doing right now, he's outplaying Kemba Walker in terms of actual play on the court and defensively
1: as well. Yeah, I just think it's it's tough to put that burden on a 20, what is he, 22-year-old, you know, rookie uh, you know, to, to ask that of somebody down. To, yeah. Yeah. Um, to ask that of somebody down the stretch and crunch time, like I said, that is a hell of a burden to place on somebody like that. Kemba for all of his health issues and, and his faults, it has been there, done that. I would, I still feel more comfortable with Kemba on the floor over Peyton Pritchard. Will that change in a year or two? Maybe hopefully, but right now I, you know, I still, I still got to go with Kemba. Uh, you know, let's, Let's kind of wrap up the Celtic discussion here with, you know, I, I agree, you know, Tatum, an all world talent to get to that next level. He's got to Darwin, as you said, incorporate his teammates more, get them more involved, learn how to, you know, get them the ball in advantageous positions, you know, uh, uh, when crunch time calls for it. So I think that's the next level he needs to get to. But there is a lot of, you know, it's not just one thing with the Celtics right now. It's a little bit of the roster. It's a little bit of coaching. It's a little bit of players not doing their thing, you know, what the back of their basketball card says they should be doing in certain moments. So a lot to go around here. You know, Evan Fournier, uh, my oh friend. 0 for 10, by
2: the way, at the end of the oh for
1: 10. Okay, so we missed one. All right. So 0 for 10, a minus infinity Uh, Evan, you will have better days, my friend, and hopefully better better days ahead for the Celtics, uh, who just got uh, stomped by Zion and the Pelicans tonight at TD Garden. Uh, Jalen, get back soon, buddy. Uh, We need you. So from the Celtics to the Patriots, because uh, Steve Sheely is wearing proudly, I might add, his Patriots shirt. But the thing I want to ask about the Patriots, these – these aren't, your, these aren't the Patriots we've come to know. And what I mean by that is this is a team that, you know, very, very frugal, very economic, very, you know, cold-blooded kind of in their assessment of not only free agents but of their own players. And Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft just go berserk. You're a free agent? Come on to Foxborough. Bring them all in. This is a spending spree unlike anything we have ever seen with this franchise and it's, you know, we, we let off the show talking about, you know, is the Celtic roster better now than it was pre-trade deadline? We largely agree. Yes, but there's still some work to do. I think it's indisputable that the Patriots roster now is better than it was before the flurry of free agency began. But Steve shealy to lead off with you, how do you feel about this as a Patriots fan that this, you know, this has been against their, their DNA for so many years. And like I said, they just went berserk in their roster construction. It's just such an odd look for this team. Not a bad one, but just a very odd one.
0: No, not bad at all. And definitely odd. My head is still spit. Oh, hang on. Wait, guys. uh, I hate to do this on a podcast because time doesn't really have concept, but, uh, Darwin Zook was just signed by the new England Patriots. (laughs) Yes. That's, uh, Wow, that's that's huge. That's huge for this podcast. My guy. semi-pro league debut was ten
2: years
1: ago, so now I'm ready for my NFL debut. There you Dar- go, Darwin, no, tight they... end, edge rusher. What are you thinking
0: here? Tight end. All right,
1: good, sweet. sweet.
0: <laughs> I uh, I'm gonna lay off a joke that I was going to hit there, but um, no, this is this is this is a, a, an off season unlike anything the Patri- Patriots fans have have seen. This is, in fact, last time we were recording, we were talking about this is not what the Patriots do. They don't sign all these players. They laugh at other teams that sign all these players in the first and second and third days of free agency. They don't they don't sign everyone in, in the biggest free agents. No no no. Here's what they did. They signed LeRoy Reynolds, Raekwon McMillan, Montrevious Adams, Kyle Van Noy, old friend Kyle Van Noy, Ted Karras, another old friend, Hunter Henry, Janu Smith, Henry Anderson, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, Matt Judon, Jalen Mills, Davin show, Trent Brown. They... Godchow. gotcha. I, I knew I was going to butcher that pronunciation. By the way, LSU. LSU, LSU has the corner on anyone who, who spells their name AUX to end their name. Uh, they also re-signed Jacob Johnson, Lawrence Guy, James White, who somehow is only 29 years old. Dude's been in the league since 1974. He's only 29. That's pretty impressive. David Andrews, Nick Folk. Cody Davis, Carl Davis, not related. Dietrich Wise Jr., Justin Bethel, and Darwin's favorite quarterback, Cameron Newton. That's. Uh, I was with you till I was with you till the end. <laughs> that's 14 players brought in and 10 players resigned. That's that's an amazing haul for a team that, again, is not known for this.
2: Yeah, I mean. <laughs> My mind's spinning when you read through. I'm glad you did that, Sheila, because it is remarkable when you get that list because it's so different as, Matt, you started this off, the way the Patriots have approached free agency. In the past, it's let's wait until a couple weeks go by. Let's see what the market is. Let's see how it develops. And then we'll jump in and pick up a few pieces. This was let's be aggressive right off the bat. And the Patriots media and the team, they're circling the wagons now because they're all saying, see, New England's still a great destination. Everyone wants to come play for Bill Belichick. But guys, let's be honest. What's the real reason they got Judah exactly? Steve Shealy making the money sign right now. It's money. So of course, Belichick, you know, I'm not we're not gonna get into the whole debate this week. It was more important, Brady or Belichick and all that? But the point is, is Belichick, of course, he's somewhat of a draw. But it's about the money. The Patriots went out and overspent for some guys that they usually would wait and see how it developed and then jump in and make economical decisions in terms of what was best for the team with roster construction and money. Now they just went in and Bob Kraft basically gave Bill Belichick an open checkbook and said, hey, go get these guys. Just go get them. And they did. And credit to them, they did. And maybe they should be, you know, on their high horse right now and complimenting themselves, but the problem I still have is they don't have a quarterback. Who is going to throw the ball to Janu Smith? Who is going to throw the ball to Hunter Henry? I don't know who that is.
0: Well, they just signed you, so you tell me.
1: <laughs> yeah, who's throwing the ball to you, buddy?
2: Who is going to be the quarterback? To me, it looks like it's going to be a guy in the draft that they're going to go up and get or sit there at 15, or it's going to be Jimmy Garoppolo. And I know all the reports say the Niners might not trade him and the Patriots aren't interested. To me, it's cat and mouse. The Patriots want Garoppolo. I still believe he's going to be their starter in week one. Honestly, I'm not saying that to be hyperbolic. I'm not saying that just to put it out there. Garoppolo will be the Patriots' starting quarterback in week one next season. I don't see any other way, unless they're going to start some rookie they they draft.
0: Hmm. I, I do – I do think there is another way and his name is Cam Newton, love it or hate it. Uh, be- Bill Belichick does love Cam Newton. Uh, I think he'd be maybe not thrilled to see him as there's his starting quarterback to start the year, but I think he'd be accepting it. Um, you know, listen, I have I've long since stopped guessing of what the Patriots are going to do uh, every time. And we were just talking about we never saw the Patriots do this before. So every single offseason, every single season, they do things we have no idea. They cut players. We were like, oh, come on, they're not going to cut that guy. They trade away players we, that we have grown to love. Bill Belichick does not give one iota about what we think or, what, or any speculation out there from, from us. Or from any reporters out there, and that's the other thing I laugh at is all these reporters who are plugged in and say, "Oh, we 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 know what the Patriots' thinking is. We we're we're close to sources that are familiar with Belichick's thinking." No, the f you aren't, man. No one knows what Belichick's doing, and that's exactly one of the contentions that, that Tom Brady had. He didn't know what Bill Belichick was doing. He wanted to be more of the process, and now he went down south, as all senior citizens do. Maybe maybe he won a Super Bowl when he did it. But
2: <laughs> my concern, though, Steve, is does Bill Belichick know what he's doing at the most important position in sports?
0: I'm, I've, I'm going to trust this guy. He's the, you know, no matter what you say, Darwin, how'd that down. go last year? He is the best coach in the history of the NFL.
2: How'd it go last year when we trusted him to come up with a quarterback and a scheme? You got to have a quarterback. You can have all these guys. You got to have did, someone who did. can get he him the did ball for
0: three weeks, and the dude hurt his shoulder or
2: arm or bicep. Wait, 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 wait. You're still on the Cam Newton trade that, train that he no, could no. actually come back and, and, no, 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 and lead no, no, no. this team no, no, no. to I was the saying postseason?
0: They, the season went down in flames after Cam obviously was dinged up. I'm not, I'm not saying anything about this current season coming up. I'm saying this is what happened last season. If you look at what they started to do at the beginning of last season, they were actually rolling pretty well. In fact, when they went into Seattle and almost, and almost got the win there, Cam Newton lit it up. He was actually throwing the ball on a rope. And he just was not able to I mean, do that yeah, afterwards. Worst so,
2: secondary in the league, it turned out though. At the time, it looked good, and then Seattle turned out to be the worst
0: secondary. Right, in right. The but I'm not even. I'm not even talking about the uh, the defense he was playing. I'm just talking about the way he was throwing the ball. He was throwing the ball with authority. There was zip on it, and it's something he was not able to do for the rest of the season. Um, now, but but Steve,
2: but okay, but in a vacuum, I mean, if you look at Cam Newton in general over the last six years. It's not like he just suddenly got dinged up and it couldn't happen. He's been dinged up for years. I mean, or whatever you want to call it. He hasn't had really a good arm. Maybe he did for two, the first two or three games, two and a half games last year. Well, let me you ask you. If you want to call it that. but What was your, what was your reaction, reaction when they signed, when they signed him? him? I didn't like it. Because I based on the previous five years. I'm going by the last five years. He hasn't been good since his MVP season. Maybe the year after. If you look at the stats, his completion percentage has been bad. His TD to interception ratio has been bad. Uh, his, his injury and, and his ability to run the ball, because he is getting dinged up, has been bad. So to me, it's not like it just started in Week Four this past season. It started four years ago or more that he hasn't been the Cam Newton. When we think Cam Newton, we have this image in our head,
1: and I don't think it matches reality. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. I just want to. Ask real quick. He did have a bout with COVID, did he not? That I mean, that's listen. None of us are health experts, like <laughs> by, by any means, but that's got to factor in. I mean, but he didn't I mean, have
2: COVID two years ago, three years ago. But we're not. Four ta- years I'm ago. not talking
0: about that. I'm just talking about just la- strictly last year. Yeah, okay. they did start one and two, but they were in every game, and and they were actually they looked like they were playing pretty well. Um, I keep going back. Listen. Yes, they signed Cam Newton, who had been banged up. He looked like he was starting to get healthy. It was a it was a low cost investment, and otherwise they were going to be starting Jared Stidham, who you know, as us who don't really know what's going on, we thought, hey, maybe Jared Stidham's good guy. He was obviously not the guy, and and Belichick found that out pretty early that Stidham was not the guy, right? Uh, So you bring in Cam Newton, it's 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 a shot. They right. right. Okay, Okay. fine. I'll give
2: you last year. But what about now? So we saw last year, it didn't work out. I mean, we can say, okay, you can go back to a couple weeks, it might have looked good. But it, overall, let's agree, it didn't work out. So you sign him to a kind of an incentive laden deal. I can even I was angry about that a few weeks ago. And then I looked at the contract more credits used to, you know, you looked at the contract more, it was only, you know, really 3 million, 4 million base. It's cuttable numbers. In other words, so, like you can cut the guy and not have that much of a hit. But If that's your plan, it's just not good enough when you're going to go out and sign all these guys. And let me just bring up this too. You're going to go and sign all these guys. And if your plan is then to say, get one of these stud rookies, right? Or see if Fields drops to you. It looks like Mac Jones now is going to the Niners at three. So you're hoping one of these other quarterback drops or you trade up whatever. So he's not going to be ready in year one or year two. Well, look at, and what's Hunter Henry and Janus Smith's contract? Those are your big offensive weapons now. They only signed two-year deals. They're, I mean, essentially, two years guaranteed. So you got to have, you know, you, you can't rely on if, if, whatever quarterback falls to you at 15 and you want to develop them great go for it but that's not going to be your guy who's going to be throwing touchdowns to hunter henry and janu smith the next two years you've got to have someone else and that's why i'm not just going out and just throwing garoppolo's name out there i think because that's the guy the patriots really want that they feel can come in right away and start playing with those guys and jibing with them and getting to the playoffs and making something happen right away you don't sign all these guys to bring in a rookie or to bring in Cam Newton with with an arm that looks dead, and, and to just see what happens. I think Belichick's smarter than
0: that. I really do. I agree with you, but you know you got to have two, two two people that want to dance. Belichick can want to trade for Garoppolo all he wants, but if San Fran doesn't want to give him up, then there, you know there's only so much you could do there. But don't you think? Don't
2: you guys think that San Fran kind of does based on that trade that they just made to trade up to three? They're drafting Mac Jones. It looks like at three. I mean. Garoppolo's, do you think he's going to want to sit there and be the, the holding, the, the holding guy for, for the rookie quarterback to come in? Garoppolo is going to demand to get out of there.
1: I mean, it certainly does appear that way, you know, with all the, the trade activity, you know, from a, a couple of days ago that, I mean, yeah, the, the, all the sirens go off that, wait a minute, the Niners trade up to three. Why would you trade up to three if not to take a quarterback? But I think the, the flip side argument to that could be, okay, there's one sure thing in this draft. That's obviously Trevor Lawrence. Zach Wilson has, you know, his stock has really improved. I think is yeah, I, I would definitely think the Jets are going to get him at two. Then after that, like, I mean, I plead ignorance here. I don't really, I, I can't really assess the guys after T-Law and Wilson and how good they are or aren't. Is there a big drop off, you know, in that second tier quarterbacks? And if there is, Is there at least a possibility that the Niners are thinking something different at the number three spot? It wouldn't seem that way because when you trade up that high, your plan would be to get a quarterback. But I just don't know. Is there a guy at that level? I I don't know.
2: No, I don't know either. And that's a good point because who the hell knows sometimes with these quarterbacks, that second tier. But the Niners did hold a presser today and Shanahan said they're drafting a quarterback at three. They made it clear. That's what they're doing. That's why they made the trade. So whoever it is that they have in mind, whether it's Jones and I'm blanking, why am I blank? Not Zach Wilson,
1: Justin Fields, Justin Fields,
2: no fields. And then there's the other guy,
0: Zach Morris. I think it's Zach Morris is the one you're
2: <laughs> There's Zach Wilson. There's Justin Fields. Our
0: producer just jumped in. Trey, Trey Lance.
2: Lance. Thank you. Trey Lance. Trey so Lance. whether it's Lance Jones or fields, the Niners are drafting one of those guys. They basically made it clear they're drafting a quarterback. So, and, they, and Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, coach of the Niners said, I called Jimmy to tell him we're drafting a quarter. He called him today to tell him that, that they're drafting a quarterback and Garoppolo wasn't pleased, but they want to keep Jimmy supposedly to, you know, be the holding pin. But a guy like Garoppolo has been in the league several years now. He doesn't want to sit there and hold it for some, be the placeholder for some rookie. No way. Right.
0: I actually, I see. I think you guys are looking at this all wrong. You guys are talking about the number one, two, three, four pick, and 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 really, what, what obviously the Patriots are going to do is they're just going to wait to the sixth round, maybe I don't know the 199th pick or so, <laughs> and they're going to pick. Uh, How great would that be, t- some Tim? From, some Tim, Grady. Tim Grady. Tim <laughs> Grady. He's uh not mobile, Tim, but a cannon of an arm.
1: I heard t- Tim Brody too. Tim Brody could Tim Brody be. Brody might be good too. Could be the guy at, at six and, and one ninety nine. It's all, it's all fascinating to see, you know, what these teams are doing, the way they're maneuvering and Jimmy G is in a, is in a tough spot here because, you know, Darwin, like you said, is he going to want to sit there and and hold the clipboard for some what behind the ears rookie? No way. What incentive though, do the Niners get by not treating him? That's the part I don't understand. You mean by trading him? In- by not trading him? If you know, if they're gonna hold on to him as a very expensive backup, what does it really do for you?
2: Because they would keep, they would play him this year, and supposedly then the rookie would learn under Garoppolo, and Garoppolo would just be the the tutor mentor type but the problem is Garoppolo does that really work though no it doesn't and Garoppolo is going to be pissed off and angry the whole time he's not going to want it no it's not going to work uh there's not a chance and that's why I think Garoppolo ends up out the door and the 49ers made it clear they said if we get a great trade offer then we'll entertain it but until we have that that to me that all the signs are there if the Patriots want him they could have Garoppolo right now definitely for a second-round pick and maybe for a third. But Belichick, I think, is going to play it coy and wait a little bit and see you know, what kind of value he can get. Because the Niners, I don't think they can bring Garoppolo into the season as this lame-duck quarterback, and Belichick knows that. So he might wait a little bit longer before saying, all right, we'll give you the third for Jimmy. But it's and, happening.
0: And really, Garoppolo can really force their hand, too. If, if he plays his cards right and, and really wants out of there and is not happy, he can make this a lot harder on the 49ers and, and and make a trade more easily available. Now, if I'm
1: the Niners, though, I'm making this a bidding war because the Patriots are not the only quarterback needy team. I mean, there's, you know, Denver. They're not quarterback needy. They are quarterback freaking desperate. They got to get somebody to throw those passes. And I think that they would step up to the front of the line and say, hey, let's, you know, hold the fort here. Don't just send him right back to Fox row because we, we need somebody too. So if I'm the Niners, I'm going to play the Patriots and the Broncos against one another. If, if Garoppolo is the commodity that you really want, I don't think it's a sure thing that he's heading back uh, to New England, which there, again, we circle back to Cam Newton and you know, he is the linchpin for this, this whole thing. If, if all these free agents come in and if this whole thing's going to work, it's up to Cam and if you get Cam and Jimmy G on the on the same roster, does it then become a competition, or is it a foregone conclusion that Jimmy G becomes your starter? I think that's another part of, part of this, too. Well, that goes back to Steve's
2: point earlier, too. I think Belichick does really respect Cam and has this thing for Cam, so I don't think he would just kick him out the door. I do think he'd make it, quote-unquote, an open competition. But to your point, Matt, I, I agree that there's – the quarterback dominoes not just in terms of the draft, which we don't know yet; it hasn't happened. But the dominoes of current quarterbacks and what teams they will be on hasn't revealed itself yet. The Sean Watson, that whole situation—we don't know where he's going to be playing. If he's going to be playing next He'll be year, behind bars, you know? Right? We don't know. We don't know any of that with Sam Darnold. So the How crazy Jets. Is that?
0: How crazy is that situation with Watson? He was going from darling. Everyone's feeling bad for him, and now, like you said, he could be behind bars, and who knows? That shows you how quickly things change. Change.
2: Yeah, and the Jets with Sam Darnold. So if they draft Zach Wilson, they're not keeping – which looks like they're going to do. They're not keeping Sam Darnold. So where is he going to go? Maybe he could be the guy who wouldn't mind another opportunity, say, with the Niners to start for a year, show what he can do – and, and kind of be a mentor to whoever they they bring along. And then Darnold could go make himself some money if he plays well somewhere else. I just don't see Garoppolo. To me, that relationship seems kind of fractured now with the Niners. So maybe Darnold could go to San Fran. My point is, is there's so many dominoes still to fall. Yeah. But I don't think the Patriots want Darnold. I don't think Watson's realistic for many reasons. The uh, Stafford's already established now in the Rams. Patriots kind of running out of guys unless it's going to be Newton and, and some rookie quarterback, which brings me back to Jimmy
0: G. Look at, look at last year. At this time, Cam Newton was not a member of the Patriots yet, right? It, a lot can happen. We don't know what's going to happen. Like you said, a lot of dominoes will fall. I do have one question for you guys, though. So I, I went through the laundry list of different players that are either brought in through free agency or re-signed. Are there any ones in there that you guys want to talk about other than quarterback position? Like, there's there's one... For instance, the Nelson Aguilar, uh, I don't know. I, that's, that's one of those, uh, first of all, obviously, Belichick hasn't had the best track record uh, judging receiving talent, so that makes me a little bit nervous. And the only other thing I think about with Nelson Aguilar is a couple of years ago when he was in Philly, and there was a local news station, did some kind of a story on a fire. with they were, they were throwing kids out the windows, and this dude was catching them, and he's like, yeah, if that was Nelson Aguilar, then we would have dropped him. And that's all I think about. Yeah. And that when, only happens when, in Philly. Yeah. When local fans <laughs> are just clowning on the receivers like that. And all of a sudden you, you pony up and you pay him all this money to, to come to new England. It, it makes me go, huh? Yeah. Well, that's a great
2: point. That's why that goes to the Patriots spending spree as well. Like it doesn't seem like Aguilar would be the kind of guy on the first day that Belichick would be like, yeah, let's go get Nelson Aguilar. Like it just doesn't fit the history. Like you guys have been saying the whole time, but he did have a good year with the Raiders last year. He stepped in and played very well. And in fairness to Belichick, he he's a horrible evaluator of re- receivers in the draft, but free agency he's done okay. In the draft, he's literally struck wow. out pretty did much just, every yeah. time.
0: Did you did we just flip?
2: Yeah, I know. That was an odd <laughs> that was an odd flip
0: right
1: there. I'm defending <laughs> Belichick. Oh, geez. Twilight my Zone. Mind, guys. My
0: mind games are working here.
1: Twilight Zone. Nikhil Henry, a bust, or is there still potential there? With who? I'm sorry about Nikhil Henry. Oh, geez. Nikhil Harry is... Harry, I'm sorry. No, well, you shouldn't know his name.
0: The
2: people (laughs) in New England
1: don't know his name. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you for the defense of my ignorance. I I appreciate it.
2: Here's the thing, too, with Harry is that so, so Mike Lombardi, right, he was like uh, Belichick's kind of right-hand man or assistant GM for years, and now his son's on the staff. And Lombardi sometimes is on uh, other podcasts, let's just say. And he talked about before uh, the draft when it was DK Metcalf, right, and all those receivers, Metcalf ended up being the best, but there's a lot of them you could go down the line. And Nikhil Harry was part of that draft. He said, if you draft Nikhil Harry, you can go and look up this quote, if you draft Nikhil Harry, uh, DK Metcalf over Nikhil Harry... You're an idiot, was his exact quote. (laughs) So fast forward now a couple years later. This is Belichick's guy now, Lombardi. His son's still on the step. They drafted Nikhil Harry. Lombardi went on and on how Metcalf can't run routes. You need guys that can run the whole route tree and guys that can run, you know, uh, 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 the proper routes all the time. And Harry was the guy. And, And he's just dead wrong. And it's just... I can't believe that the Patriots somehow messed up one of the best receiver classes ever. Yeah. You go down the line, and they ended up with Nikhil Harry, who they're trying to now give away for like a fifth round pick. And, and truth be told, they're not getting a fifth round pick for him. They're not getting anything for him. Eventually, they're gonna have to release him. To yeah, be fair, donuts maybe.
0: To be fair, he he can run all the routes. He just he just runs them in quicksand. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah, let's that's, let's uh, that's specify here what we're talking about. You know that going back. uh, to the whole quarterback situation. I think it's crazy that, uh, you know, you look at the landscape of the AFC East and there's, you know, as it's been for over two decades now, there's one team in the AFC East who happens to wear red and blue that is stable at the quarterback position, except now it's the bills and everybody else is, has their issues. We've gone through the Patriots issues. Uh, I don't know. The dolphins are totally sold on Tua. And the Jets are always a dumpster fire, so it's Matt. You have strong ties to Buffalo with your wife. Is she uh, happy about Josh Allen and the Bills uh, team there? Uh, let's just say, if Josh Allen walked into our house right now, um, I'd be out in the street, uh, single, divorced, and uh, yeah. So she she is a fan of of the young gunslinger up there in Western New York. Uh, Did you notice when you get off the, at the airport there in
2: Buffalo, right, there's that huge mural right up when you get off the plane of Josh Allen just right in your right. face. And a couple of years ago when I was up there, I get off the plane, I'm like, Josh Allen, this guy sucks. He's terrible and now. Joke's on me. The guy's lighting up the league, and that mural now looks – he's like the poster boy of yeah. the entire upstate New York. A, cu-
0: a couple of years ago uh, when when the Patriots are playing the Bills in, the, in their, their first go-around that season – um the uh, the announcer was just clowning on Josh Allen just crushing him. Every throw he made he'd be like, "Oh god, how is he making that throw? That what was he thinking there?" And like you said, now he turned into the best quarterback in the AFC, not named Patrick Holmes. Mahomes, sorry.
1: Yeah. Uh he he's been amazing and uh you know, I married into a Bills family and they're in love with the guy. He's, how many
0: tables he's... has she put you through? Uh we're in double figures. Okay. Um,
1: all the concussions have clouded my uh, my tally, but I, I believe we're in double figures.
0: I just I was wondering if the Dudley boys were up there. Ooh, not, oh,
1: speaking of that, see, I got a bone to pick with you. Because prior to this podcast, uh, I we had an agreement that any reference to Hunter Henry was going to be Hunter Hurst Henry,
0: and you yeah. let me down. You're right. I did. I, I Come blew on, right man. by that. I blew right by that. I for the, for from-
2: all the wrestling fans out there. I'm just happy that somehow we got through this whole thing without having to discuss, you know, which players on the Red Sox have COVID. Jeez. I mean, it's that that's a successful January. podcast, in my opinion.
0: That brings Absolutely. us to our next segment. How many players on the Red Sox have COVID?
2: <laughs> I, I think we can do our Red Sox preview next
1: week. No? I'll do more research for that. Is that okay? Yeah. We could do another round of, uh, you know, Darwin, is this a Red Sox or is this a... A member of the North Dakota State Senate. You know, women. I'm gonna do my
2: research. You're gonna
1: see. <laughs> I'm gonna be I, I'm gonna talk
2: to Alex core. I'm gonna get the lowdown on all nice. these guys. Tell you what, Challenge next week accepted.
0: Next week next when we, we talk about the Red Sox, Sox. we might find, find, find out that the Red, Red, Red Sox are already, already eliminated, eliminated from postseason contention.
1: That's <laughs> that's entirely possible. Nathan Avaldi, boys and girls, the opening day starter. If that don't get you fired up, well then check your pulse.
2: <laughs> I'm boys checking. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, this uh, has this been is- an amazing hour plus, and we were just notified by our producer, Tim McBaster that we have hit the hour mark, and I said, that can't be, because time has flown, but that's what happens when you're talking Boston sports with your buddies. My buddies are Darwin Zook and Steve Shealy. I am Matt Waymeyer We are the Sons of Bellhorn, episode two in the books. We're talking some Sox uh, baseball next week, and we'll complain a little more about the Celtics, I'm sure. For Darwin, for Steve, I'm Matt's. Adios, boys and girls.